welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence Podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is Lesson 38, 3 Nephi 12-16 through 16. I am the Law and the Light For most people, this is one of the favorite chapters in the whole Book of Mormon. Rod echoes these sentiments as he explains more about one of the most sacred sites in all of the ancient world. Could there be mind-blowing evidence as to where Christ came to visit the Nephites? Hey everybody, I am telling you what, this is going to be one of the most exciting uh, podcasts that we've ever done. It's one of my personal favorite ones. Basically, we're going to be talking about the, uh, the coming of Christ um, as he came to his temple in the land Bountiful. Um, we want to know something about that temple in Land Bountiful. For example, um, did that temple actually have the plan of salvation encoded in it? Uh, would he have gone to a smaller temple or would have taken the, the largest temple complex in the world to be the place where he would actually come uh, to that? This coming week, basically, we're going to be uh, talking about the um, plan of salvation and the temple and the archaeological information. Uh, then I'm going to actually be taking you out. Uh, this will be the first time we've ever done this, actually, uh, when we go out on the tours. Uh, we actually have a, about a four-hour long discussion. We're going to cut that down into just a couple of hours and, uh, and, and, and take you out to the actual site um, that, that um, um, we think could very possibly have been the temple in the land bountiful of the Book of Mormon. And, of course, we know the sacred experiences that happened there. And so we're going to explain some of that. We're going to talk about the laws of Moses and things out there, um, what may have been going on um, in that general area. We're going to go through a lot of detail about that. And uh, I hope you'll join us for the next three weeks as this, is, as this rolls out. Uh, there's so much information there that we just couldn't get it into a, a one-week thing. We're, again, we want to apologize. We're, these, are, these are quite long. We understand that. But we're trying to give you as much information so that you can become powerful in your understanding of the Book of Mormon, to have deeper understanding and, under, and understand the meanings of things in a, in a more profound way. Um, that's what we're hope and our, our prayer is, is that this is, is happening for you as you read the Book of Mormon this year, that you're getting more out of it than you ever have before. That's what we were anticipating, that's what we were promising that we were going to try to do in the beginning of this, uh, this year. Um, we have had amazing uh, individuals, and we have a whole bunch of really great uh, podcasts that, that we've got coming up here uh, throughout the rest of the year. So, uh, hang in there with us. Uh, we're, we're, this is going to be um, some fun, and uh, let's enjoy the next three weeks here as you see uh, this rollout of the visit of Christ to his covenant people in the promised land of America. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Rod Meldrum, and I'm, I'm very uh, happy about this. Uh, this next three weeks is going to be fantastic. Uh, what we've what we've been doing, uh, we've been, had a kind of a ramp up to uh, when Christ came. This is lesson is going to be lessons 38 and 39. This is Third Nephi, chapters 12 through 16, uh, and then also um, the next uh, the next one is Third Nephi chapters 17 to 19. And actually, going to be two weeks. I am really excited about this. This is my favorite part, and probably most of you is that it's your favorite part of the Book of Mormon. This is where Christ comes to the Nephites and he teaches them. Uh, I find it really fascinating that Christ, in this particular instance, when he was with his uh, disciples and those in Jerusalem, he had to use parables all the time. Um, Christ gives them pure doctrine here. Uh, he doesn't have to use pure. He doesn't have to use parables because uh, these people are prepared to receive 
the information. He didn't have to cloak it in a parable. And they didn't have, to, and so they were actually getting to straight from Christ. I just, I, I just love this. So uh, what we're going to uh, do here, just to kind of a, for an explanation over the next couple of weeks. Um, so what I'd like to do is, is, is spend a little bit of time. Uh, the last um, podcast that we did had a bunch of information in regard to the scenario of the destruction that happened before the time of Christ, and showing that the Book of Mormon is accurate in its descriptions of the of the destructions and things that happen, and that those destructions uh, could have happened, and we and we believe obviously did happen in the heartland of America. Um, now I'd like to move into a little bit of a different uh, stage here. We have. Um, uh, I've got lots of people I could have come and be a part of this, but uh, but this is something that is very personal to me. I've really enjoyed sharing this information. I've gone on many tours and taken many people out to this these particular area that we're going to be talking about here. And so I want to give you a quick introduction to um, if you when when you know the um, geography of the heartland that we're proposing, you know that basically the land bountiful area um, is in Ohio. Um, you also know from the Book of Mormon that it was the, in the land bountiful in the temple there that Christ came to the Nephites. So is there a possible location that would make more or less sense um, to be a, the, the temple in bountiful? And uh, for that, I, I personally like to defer to, and again, we're not saying this is an absolute or whatever, but the largest complex that the Hopo Mound Builder people, i.e. the Nephites, ever made, was uh, was the, and the most complex one as well is in Newark, Ohio. It's called the Great Octagon and the Great Circle Structures, and, it, and combined they call it the Newark Earthworks. Um, this has got some just fascinating information I'm going to share with you. Um, I'm going to put this down again. Uh, we we finished talking about the earth the earthquakes and the darkness and all that kind of stuff. And I think if you if you watch that video, I think you were amazed by the fact that uh, that every single aspect of those things that were witnessed in the Book of Mormon by the prophet Nephi were in fact witnessed by others in 1811-1812 in the, in the sequence of earthquakes that happened um, that we know that there was a, a, another a sequence of earthquakes that happened back in the time of Christ too. So, uh, so that hopefully has been something you've enjoyed. Um, but I want to get into another aspect of this, and that is basically this plan of salvation. So if you turn with me in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the annotated edition of the Book of Mormon here, on page 250, you have the plan of salvation here. And uh, and I want to just talk to you just a little bit about that, uh, because obviously it would make sense that, that if the Nephites were going to build a temple that it, that temple would would have similar kinds of things as our temple ceremonies do because one of the important parts of our temple ceremony in the endowment is a uh, is an understanding of the creation and God's plan for us here on this earth the plan of salvation is central to the uh, to God's eternal plan here for for all of his children here on this earth and so an understanding of the plan of salvation is critical to all people who are going to you know, participate in this in this said salvation. So the plan of salvation, I want to um, um, point out something there, is that in Ohio, there is a gigantic earthwork that is actually four square miles in extent. This is called the Newark Earthworks. Um, today, it, even today, it is the largest temple complex on the face of the earth. There is nowhere on the earth that has a temple that that uh, is four square miles in extent. Um, this is this is unique and it's massive. 
Um, it, it, it involves basically a circular structure, which you can see down in the in the, in the lower portion of the uh, of the image here. By the way, this image is from Squire and Davis. This was actually the very first book ever published. It's called the Mississippi River Valley, and it was the very first ever um, book published by the Smithsonian. But uh, this is from some surveys that uh, Squire and Davis did. And you can see basically a circular structure at the bottom. Um, then it goes up to the uh, to the right and to the and to the top of the image. There's a square there. There's three looks like kind of pathways that that come out of the square. Uh, they go into two other pathways that go off to the uh, to the left of the image, and then they, then those two converge at a big octagon. Then the octagon has a little narrow neck area that goes into a circle. And uh, we're going to explain all of that in more detail. Um, it's actually in the book, encoded in this gigantic earthwork that dates back into Book of Mormon timeframes, and even possibly before. Um, some of, some of the earthwork may have been built possibly by the Jaredites, but uh, archaeologically speaking, this was uh, definitely in use by the Hopewell Mound Builder people in their time frame, which are which we, again we we believe to be the Nephites, and encoded in this gigantic earthworks, brothers and sisters. 2,000-year-old earthwork, and it has in its walls, these are, these are basically gigantic um, uh, engineered uh, walls of, of earth, so that can be loamy soil and sands and, uh, and clays and so forth. They engineered these things, uh, even with gravel and sand and so forth, um, but, they, uh, but they engineered these things, and they built this gigantic structure, and it is a representation of the plan of salvation. Now, when I say that, you're probably going, wait, wait a minute, how, how do you get that? Um, we're going to explain that um, in, in more detail. But the, but, the, but the bottom line is is that the plan of salvation basically has, it, it starts off, and we can actually, uh, I'll show you some of this here in just a little bit. They were, they're already putting, the, putting this going, going on through here. So these, these different rows. Anyway, so uh, this is Licking County, Ohio. This is David Weirich, 1860. This is in th this is the later one. So this is 1860. Right. Okay, but uh, and, it, and it has a, it has a few minor differences between the two surveys, and so uh, we'll show you that out there. Um, but this is just showing one of them. So you have again the octagon, the great octagon, the great circle, and then you have this big square, and there's another kind of a, a oval shape here. And then there's a, there was a lake here and so forth, and we'll talk about all that stuff out, out there. Probably originally built by the, uh, the Adena culture, i.e. the Jaredites, and then, and then a major remodel about the time of the Nephites. But actually, if you go to the book on page 250, it has uh, 1 through 10. It has those numbered, and so you can actually go through and, and we can show you those things on the plan of salvation. So uh, what we're going to do, basically, I want to I want tell you a little bit about, about this amazing earthwork. It is absolutely mind-blowing um, how this, uh, how this earth, earthwork has in it um, the plan of salvation, which how many other religions have the plan of salvation? How many other religions understand where we were in the beginning, what we're doing here on the earth, and where we're going to go, and what happens on the, and, on, the, on the other side of the veil? How many of them match what we do. There's nobody else. There is no other religion on the face of this earth that has the same understanding as we do about the plan of salvation. It's very specific. It's, uh, it's, it's sequential. And so 
the the possibility of some somebody just randomly making a massive earthwork of four square miles that has embedded in it the entire plan of salvation in chronological chronological correct order is absolutely i mean it's, it's it would be mind numbing to think of the the uh the, the odds of that um happening by accident these things were deliberate and they were absolutely it's absolutely beautiful but let me just kind of give you a quick overview. So this is the uh, the the survey that was done by Squire and Davis. This is the Earth. This is the survey that was done by David Weirich back in 1860. The previous one was done um, back in 1847, 1848, right around in that time frame. So this was after the uh, Book of Mormon was out, but they but they were just getting these surveys and so forth done. As you can see, there's some there's some minor differences between the two, but they're basically similar to each other. And I just want to point out really quickly that uh, most of this information, this research that we're talking about right here, was actually originally uh, Wayne and I, Wayne May and I, we would take people out to these sites just because it was so huge. It had the ditches and the earth banks that were still there. It was just such a cool thing to go and see these 2,000-year-old earth banks and these ditches, just like the Book of Mormon describes. But it wasn't until an expert on Hebrew symbolism, Amberly Nelson, actually got involved and uh, she called me one day and basically she said, you know, I think that I am seeing something really significant here uh, based on um, what I understand of the, of the Hebrew symbolism. So, for example, uh, as you can see in the image here, there, there are circles. There's, there's two circles, a square and an octagon. Uh, circles in the Hebrew symbolism basically represent eternity, eternal life, a ring, for example. Be that, that, so forever, those kinds of concepts. A square, on the other hand, is actually a representation of the earth. The four corners of the earth are mentioned numerous times within our standard works. And an octagon is the intermediary uh, ge geometric shape between a circle and a square. It is the it was. It is the perfect uh, intermediate between the two, and when you understand that, um, then all of a sudden, start things can start to under, to to come into conclusion. So I'm going to explain all of this in the uh, in the in the video that's coming up. Uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to take you uh, with me. Uh, we recorded this out at the at the site um, of the Great Circle. Um, we're going to go. We're going to cut to that explanation there that we did when we were on the tour there. And, uh, and you're going to see uh, some of the things that have been talked about in this, in this information. On our left side, and kind of to the front of the coach here, is the outer portion, you can see, of the, uh, of the and this is the, the lower part of the, uh, the Great Circle. So again, the interior of this thing was actually level, but the outside land that it's sitting on is not necessarily level. So the, so the walls of, the, of this are smaller on this end, and get much taller on the other end. Because okay, now last last couple of things before we before we head up. Okay, um, how many of you have been to the Sacred Grove before? Pretty much everybody, right? Okay, and so you know kind of what it feels like there. One of the things I love about this tour is that we actually get an opportunity to go to church history sites that we know are sacred. Okay, and then we also go to these proposed Book of Mormon sites. And I'd like you to uh, to just be mindful or um, kind of feel with your heart if there's some similarities between this place and places like the Sacred Grove, places that we know that our Father in Heaven and His Son have, have been before. 
and um, and so this is pretty sacred ground. Um, I've uh, I, I had one time we were walking up this uh, thing, and I had uh, one of the 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 tour members uh, just asked me a question I've never been really asked before. She said she said if you could choose any place to be anywhere in the world at any point in time, where would you go? And it's so weird because usually I would probably think about that for quite a while before I answered, but it just almost fell out of my mouth. I just said I would want to be here, 34 A.D. So if this is the temple at the Land Bountiful, then some significant things happen here. And uh, so as we go up and, and take a look at it, I want to share with you uh, some insights, some things about the laws of Moses. And, uh, and as, we go, as we go up to the museum, I'll share with you, uh, you know, the, the plan of salvation and so forth. As you, you ponder that whole thing and, and who built this and how would they have known about these things. It really is a pretty powerful testament. In fact, bring your phone or your scriptures, whichever you have, okay? Because we are going to read from uh, from that when we go out onto the uh, onto the what they call the Eagle Mound, okay? And we'll explain about the Eagle Mound as well. Anyway, so uh, let's grab our headsets and your cameras and uh, and your hearts and your minds, and let's uh, let's go out on this incredible sight. Everybody see the plan of salvation laid out in this earthwork. Let me help you out just a little bit. Pre-existence, the veil, we come to this earth. Those who die without their without having their, their ordinances done go into this area and they're in a holding pattern. Right? And this is called spirit prison. prison. And then those who, these are the people who need to have the gospel or who, who are who've been, you know, not necessarily very good people, okay? And then you have other people who come over here that have not had the gospel. But these are the, those who are a little more, you know, they were better people, I guess, in, in their life. And so you have, what is this place called? Christ called it paradise, right? But then what's this third one then? This is one for those who leave the earth but they have all their ordinances done and so there's only one checkpoint and when they go through that checkpoint then they're free to go all the way over to the octagon what about this thing what is this does that mean anything yeah right this, this is this is a, actually a burial area a cemetery area and we don't know what significance that might have had with the rest of this somebody suggested outer darkness but anyway <laughs> they're really bad people love it Anyway, so this path right here is interesting because it has all these checkpoints. What could that possibly be? Yeah, progress. This is for the people who well, came up this way. The spirit prison, those ba they, they basically don't go really any further. They're kind of like, they're damned, so to speak, right? But the people who go into paradise, well, those who accept the gospel, they're going to need to have some things done, right? Because they didn't have their ordinance work done here on the earth. So what are they going to have to do? This is the vicarious route. That's where we come in. So this is interesting. They them. have to have other people who are here on the earth do their ordinances here and here and here and here and here so that they can continue down the path towards the octagon. Right? And then they get to the octagon. That's an intermediate. And how many of you know, um, or if you've seen the San Diego Temple? Or even if you've, how many of you have been to the Salt Lake Temple? Okay, if you walk up to the front doors of the Salt Lake Temple, What's on the front doors that slide open for you, the glass doors? There's two emblems. It's a square piece of glass with another square piece of glass, and the one of them is rotated to create 
Yeah, it creates an eight-pointed star that has a little beehive on it. Okay, what is that sign? If you look straight down from a drone on top of the uh, on top of the uh, San Diego Temple, the entire temple complex there creates the same design. If you walk up to the front doors of the San Diego Temple, this design is all over the doors. In fact, it's on the San Diego Temple, this particular design with the four with the with the two squares like this is on the temple 10,000 times on the outside of the temple. What is that design? They didn't know what it was when the architect was doing the uh, the, um, the, San, the, the San, San Diego temple. They were just really um, taken by this particular design. They're like, what what is it about this design? And uh, they went and asked Hugh Nibley, said, what is this design? He said, oh, that's the seal of Melchizedek. <laughs> so I'm like, whoa. So you got the seal of Melchizedek over here, and then going this this narrow pass, this narrow passage, and then goes into another circle, which is a representation of eternal life, eternity, right? You have celestial, terrestrial, telestial. You have a vicarious route and a direct route. You have a veil, and everything is not only there, it's in the correct order. Now, there's one other point that I need to make right here. What is this one right here? This, row, this one that comes off of here, it, it makes kind of one little bend right here, and then from this point, guess what it does? This is called the Great Hopewell Road. And we haven't even had a chance to even talk about this yet. But Bradley Lepper has been able to follow that road. If you follow it from here in Newark, and you head down, and you follow that road, it continues on for 70 miles. Why would they need a road that's 200 feet wide? I mean, you can land modern day aircraft on that. It goes straight to Chillicothe. It goes right to Mound City. It's straight as an arrow. Even by satellite, it's straight, which is pretty interesting when you consider the curvature of the Earth. I mean, how do you get that straight, right? So they're actually aligning to something probably astronomical, but it goes straight down to to uh, Chillicothe, which is the kind of the, the Hopewell Central. That's where all these all these gigantic earthworks were. Okay, in that Paint Valley right there. And not only is it straight, it's flat. Not only is it flat, it's 200 feet wide. If you saw this at the Plan of Salvation, this is something that Albert Lee Nelson pointed out. Um, but these are all earthworks, big huge mounds of earth all the way here. Each one of these is about 17 acres. So the question is, why, why would they do this if nobody could see it from the top? Unless they were saying something to the heavens of this is who we are, and it was announced outdoor temple with the whole plan of salvation. So, if you think about the areas of where you could live the Hebrew law with the law of sacrifice, so what would they need for the law of sacrifice? There was nothing in Mesoamerica for that. Sheep were only, and vineyards are in the north part of right around the Great Lakes. So, these they think may have been because sheep go all over that when they were doing their sacrifices and taking their sheep, they would need little places for the sheep just to go. You like know, the pathways? Uh-huh. Huh. So that, that each one of these, so the path, mm -hmm. this path is always unbroken, the easiest. This one, you know, doesn't have as many, so. But this one has, it's like there's a way to get to the kingdoms, but they're kind of broken up more. So there's kind of like um, passages and checkpoints. Um, wow. For a per person's spiritual progression. Oh, cool! So, but the, and this little break is because we have the veil 
of forgetfulness coming into the earth. Now, there's a few things that are not going to be talked about there, so I'm going to go through a couple of those things here. And that is just the sheer magnificence of this site, um, just showing you some of the basic understandings of, the, of, of how this, this site was engineered. For example, as you can see, this is the great uh, – well, let me go back to this. You have the circular part basically on the, the – called the great circle. That's the one that has the opening facing off to the east. There's another circle there up on the upper left-hand side in the middle – um, there and uh, and that one is connected to this octagonal shape, so there are actually two circles, then the square and the octagon shape, and just to, just for a, a quick brief uh, thing, basically you have uh, the the circle is the a representation of the preexistence, the square representation of the earth, the octagon is representation of the connection between heaven and earth, and the other circle is another uh, is another representation of heaven. Pre-existence and post-existence um, for those two circles. Um, the, the engineering is this is just astounding. This is the, each each one of those red lines um, is basically a what what is called a stade of ancient Egypt. That's six hundred and six feet. Um, so the 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 inner diameter basically of this, if you take a look at that, the inner diameter of that is the same as if you if you basically square the octagon, which you can see over here on the other on the right hand side, you have the same the same length there is used to basically form the you know, four of the corners of the octagon. Um, the distance between the you know, from from where the circle is through the throat of it to the center of the octagon is the same distance there as the diameter of the circle. So uh, then, then just kind of give you some other ideas. So if you take that same, that same diameter of the circle and that square, and you multiply it times six, so you go six times out, so you get one, two, three, four, five, six of those bars out, that will put you from the, 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 the circle there at the octagon, it will put you in the center of the circle on the other side of the complex, um, about two miles away. Um, the same thing over on the on, on, on the square in the center of the square of the other uh, excuse me the, uh, the the octagon in the center of the square there. Uh, these have interesting alignments. If you align those openings up and the, the with the in the octagon and the corners of the square, they're, they're going to see something here interesting in that. And also, if you take the two circles and line those up, basically, if you if you point those in a direction, those go to um, either the minimum or maximum. Uh, moon set points on the horizon, and uh, this is th everything here was actually based on the moon. The, it was a lunar-based uh, system. Um, the the um, the outer perimeter of the square and the circle here are the same distance, meaning that they have the same perimeter distance. Which uh, the only way you can calculate those kinds of things is if you know things like pi, for example, to be able to calculate it. The area inside of the circular part of the octagon and the area inside of the square is the same area. So again, you'd have to know um, high math, geometry, and so forth to be able to understand how to create that and make those two the same. When you start to put all these things together, this is a highly, highly engineered earthwork. Again, uh, we're talking over four square miles. This is a massive, massive project that was done. This shows the, the alignments of the rise and set points of the moon over its entire 18.6 year lunar cycle. 
So where it comes up and once it goes down, every 16 and a half years, basically, it will meet, meet its maximum point and its minimum point on the horizon. And each one of those arrows points to one of those uh, maximum and minimum moon rise and set points on the horizon. Um, this was absolutely uh, solid evidence that these people basically revered the moon. They were a lunar-based uh, civilization. And this is basically what it points to. The maximum, the the main axis points to the maximum northern moonrise, and the and and then the you see the other one that, that, that on the outside of that that points to the um, let's see the up, up on the upper part of it there that the minimum northern moonrise, and then you have the maximum southern moonrise. Basically, that entire segment there of the of the octagonal structure points to that, and the minimum northern moon set point on the other side there. Uh, it's just amazing to see this. This is actually discovered by Drs. Hively and Horn at Earlham College, and we're going to get into more details about that uh, a little bit later on. They said that the uh, that the possibility at the bottom there is that the uh, the odds are that the octagon's alignments are purely accidental, or about one in forty million. <laughs> so that's so that, that 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 tells you how this all works. And I tried to, I tried to describe this more in the uh, in the other information. Why is this important, folks? Uh, I believe it's important because in, in the Book of Mormon, in Omni, it says that they gave an account of one Coriantumr, the final Jaredite, and the slain of his people. And Coriantumr was discovered by the people of Zarahemla, and he dwelt with them for the space of nine moons. So how were the uh, Nephites telling time then based on lunar cycles? And, uh, and who else uses a lunar cycle to, uh, to, to do their, uh, their calendaring? And it's the Hebrews based on the commandments from the Lord to use the moon and its lunar cycles, um, the 28-29-day, uh, basically about 28-day cycle that uh, that the moon uses. Um, actually, if you divide that into four, it equals seven equal parts. And those each part, each part basically would have seven days in it. And that's an easy way to remember the Sabbath day to be able to keep it holy. You have six days on, and then you have the seventh day is a Sabbath day. After you go through that cycle four times, the moon will have shifted and, and, and gone through its cycle, and you can start over again. So every month, basically, you have a way to basically reestablish your, your, uh, your baseline as far as your week and having a Sabbath day. The Hopewell civilization utilized lunar alignments to track time. The Book of Mormon people utilized lunar, lunar, lunar cycles to track time. Um, in, in contrast to that, the Mayan civilization in Central America used primarily the sun. They were primarily a sun-based, um, you know, their, their, sun, their, their calendars were based on the sun and so forth, um, not the moon, um, which is not a Hebrew um, thing. The Hebrews were, were commanded by the Lord to use the moon as their primary um, calendaring uh lunar object or, or, or um, solar or, or yeah in the universe okay the object there all right what uh, what other people use uh, moon cycles the Jews okay uh, these are some of the artifacts that were actually found in the center portion of the great circle the great circle basically this is actually from a, a, a depiction of that that's in the museum at the great circle this is the Newark earthworks as they may have appeared around AD 200. 8200, what was going on then? This was after Christ came. This was during the time of great peace um, when, when these things were built. These things are really, really huge. As you can see here, you can actually see the um, – this is – it became a, a, uh, an 18-hole golf course, that just, the, just the, the octagon and the circular portion of it. And you can see that here today. 
The four square miles is the largest geometric complex in the world. And it was built about 2,000 years ago by the Hopewell Mound Builder people. Uh, this is from American Archaeology back in 2006. They said that the Hopewell earthworks, which ranged from about 150 A.D. to 250 A.D., according to this particular um, thing, they've done additional um, archaeological work since then that pushes it back maybe a little bit more. But uh, excavations at Hopeton, the team found charcoal in six trenches that yielded radiocarbon dates between A.D. 150 and 250. Um, Greber found charcoal and post holes at High Bank Works that radiocarbon dated to 1900 years ago. So we know this is in the exact time frame of the Book of Mormon when these things were built. Now this is this is th these these two are both in uh, Hopeton and also High Bank Works are both in um, Ohio and they're part of this whole comp the, the overall complex. This is not part of the Newark complex. So these are down by Chillicothe, Ohio, uh, Hopeton and High Bank Works. Said this this part of southern Ohio seems to have been a gigantic sacred landscape, with such a large number of earthworks being built in such a sh relatively short period of time. They actually go in and they say this must have been a time of great peace because the amount of of labor that was required to make these gigantic earthworks was so massive. It would take so many people, so many uh, man hours of labor, basically, to do this. Um, that they said they, they, these people couldn't have been worried about wars. They couldn't have been worrying about uh, about enemies because these were not built as defensive structures. These were purely ceremonial. There is no evidence of any palisades of timbers on the top of these earthworks. These were for ceremony. They had time um, to be able to actually prepare these as their, and uh, we believe this is, a, obviously, if it has a plan of salvation, it's probably a temple. And, uh, and it would have been a massive temple at that. On this level part of the site, Hopewell people planned their largest ceremonial space. First, they scraped away grass and earth to reach a clay layer. They mixed clay and water to create a very hard floor surface. It's been called Hopewell concrete. No one yet knows what features were built here first. But over several generations, people were performing ceremonial rituals here. They dug pits and built fires. They covered certain areas with stones or multicolored clay. Buildings large and small were erected here to shelter or enclose the ceremonies. They brought many precious things to the site, often breaking and burning them before placing them in ritual deposits. Two of these were so large that they are called the grave deposits. And people were buried here, 102 in all, just within this single ceremonial space. Coke, Chief of the Shawnee United Remnant Band of Ohio. When you think about Ohio and Indiana and Illinois, the western part of Pennsylvania, West Virginia and Kentucky, when you take that chunk of land that that, that is, and you look at it for what resources it probably had, before it was exploited and developed. Anybody could have lived here. Starving to death here was impossible unless you were just a fool. <laughs> the game and the fish and the birds and the, anyone could live here. So this was a sacred place. And so many people lived here for so long and so many people lived out their whole life here and died here and were buried here. And every time you fill up a new mound with your ancestors, 
you've made the place even more sacred. And then you've got 10 mouths, and then you've got 100 mouths, and then you've got 1,000 mouths, and you've got 10,000 mouths. How sacred is that? Slide on in here, we can, so we can get everybody in here, that'd be awesome. Alright, so this mural basically is depicting the Newark earthworks as they may have appeared A.D. 200. Okay, um, any significance about A.D. 200? Yeah. Okay, this is in the time of what? Great peace. In fact, we have archaeological evidence, they said, that these, these earthworks were so gigantic. Okay, this is the great, this is the great uh, circle that we're at now. Then it came over to here and had this other stuff, these other, these other things connecting here to the great circle part. This is the observation mound. They're talking about there's the thin thing. This is, this is where the Ramiumptum was at here. And then we saw that one segment going out here. There's a segment here, here, and here, and here, and so forth. So it goes into this great, great octagon shape. But uh, the reason why is because um, now there's, there is some evidence that this actually was built even earlier than, the, uh, than this time frame. But they clearly... They, there was some, some major remodeling that happened on this site right around uh, between about the time of Christ and about 200 A.D. So that's what they're talking about, this about 200 A.D. Uh, and when we get out there to the site, I'll, I'll show you where they actually found, they, they dug down um, about uh, seven or eight feet deeper into one of the trenches, the, the ditches that are on the inside of this, um, about three years ago, and they actually found that it was lined with limestones. So the interior of this, the great circle part, the interior ditch was actually lined with limestones, which they believe then held water. So that the limestones are, you know, it's, it, it helps to, to keep water inside the ditch so it wouldn't just go into the soil. So which is the great circle? I mean, there's two circles. Okay, the whole thing is called the Newark Complex, okay? Um, the, the, and and this, is, this, this part that we're at now is called the Great Circle. And the part that has the octagonal portion, even though it has a huge circle as well, is called the Great Octagon. So this is collectively called the Great Octagon. This is the Great Circle over here. And then all these rows in between here we're going to talk about in just a couple of minutes here. But this is, a, again, an artist's uh, rendition of what they think it might have looked like um, about 200 years after Christ. Okay, so, uh, and then the, the, a few things that you'll notice, and, we're, and we, we did, I didn't really point them out over there, but they have what they call readouts. These are, wherever there's an opening here, they have this thing so you still can't see in. So if you're looking from out here, you know, the, the, the wall would keep you from being able to, to just look over and look into the complex inside of here. But where there's these openings, you could see through there, except for the fact that they put these, these readouts in front of each opening. So that whatever's going on in here, they apparently didn't want the average person to be able to, to see the ceremonies and things that were going on inside. You can find the new virtual expo at bookofmormonevidencestreaming.com. We advertise 60 new videos, but actually almost double that amount, so you'll have plenty of inspiration to carry you through the fall and into the holiday season. Don't miss out on more than 110 new videos now in our library. Special guest speakers are Glenn Beck, David Barton and Tim Ballard. You'll have access for three whole months as well as receiving two bonuses that will offset your complete subscription cost. The first is The Destruction of Christ's Death, which is a two-hour streaming video by Rod Meldrum, which is a $20 value, as well as his new 40-page ebook called Prophecies and Promises. What did Joseph know? That's a $15 value. We're excited for you to join us.